Amen. You brought your Bible, say yes. And let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12 this morning. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through Luke chapter 12 in a series entitled Bold of Faith. So Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. I'm going to invite you to stand back up. I know you just sat down, but y'all stand back up with me. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus is speaking. You know, if you were here this past Sunday, you heard me preach a message on hell. Do y'all remember that message, say yes? If you don't pretend like you did, it encourages the preacher, all right? And so I sat down in my study this week, and I was like, all right, Lord, thank you for getting away from hell. All right, we're going to preach on something different. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, I have come to cast fire down upon the earth. How I wish it were already kindled. I didn't get away from it. Y'all all right? So Jesus continues to press this fact in on us, really desiring for us to listen so look again at verse 49. Jesus says, I have come to cast fire down upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on the earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower's coming and so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it'll be a hot day and it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right for while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate on your way there make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison I say to you you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent Let's pray together father uh, take your word and wash our hearts and make us clean God all of us are disciples of yours uh, with a mission to make other disciples. And so God, as we gather together corporately as a church, we are gathering together to learn how to better make disciples. So I pray that you would use your word today to equip us. And then as we walk out, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish this task of making disciples. So many people need to know you personally. And so God, I pray we are uh, very much about reaching out to those who are without you, especially those within the shadow of this church and this community. And Father, I pray thanksgiving for those who were reached in Haiti this past week. Pray in thanksgiving as well for others who will be reached as a result of that ministry. And want to pray in the name of Christ that you would burden our hearts for those who are far from you. And that we would reach out with the good news. We pray in Jesus' name that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. That you would grant me the opportunity to preach your word with boldness and clarity. So that your church might be edified and grown up to maturity. Uh, who is the head and to the head, Jesus Christ. Father, also for those who are lost, who don't know you, they're small from you, but they're here today. I pray, God, you'd use your word to draw them to salvation. Thank you, God, for the individual last service who was hearing the gospel more than once, not only through the preached message, but also as an individual after service sat down and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. May the gospel bear fruit in that individual's life, and we will give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can uh, be seated. Well, the reason that our church actually exists is to make disciples everywhere. When you make that up, Jesus gave that to us. He encouraged us to go and make disciples. This was also 
the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ was preparing the disciples throughout Luke's gospel for. And like the early disciples, we learn practical truths about how we should live in light of this great call of God upon our lives. Now, I want you to look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. Y'all with me? Say yes. Now, the Bible says that you as disciples of Christ, if you've come to faith in Jesus, you're a disciple of his. That is a willing learner and follower. So you are learning from Jesus. You are following him. Jesus has given you a specific command, and that is to go and make disciples. All right? That's not just the job of pastors on staff at churches. That is the job of the New Testament church. If you are a disciple, you should be making disciples. The pastor and staff on the church should also be involved in that, but as according to Ephesians, we are called to equip you, listen, equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so when we gather together as a church, that's what we're doing is we go through the biblical text. We are using the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to equip the body of Christ so that the body might be able to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So that is the call of the church. I fear, fear, fear that believers... Disciples of Christ will one day perish and not have one disciple that they can introduce to Christ. God has called you. Are you listening? Yes. God has called you to make disciples. God has called me to make disciples. Investing in people that they might come to know Christ, that they might grow in the knowledge of his word and be fueled and empowered by the spirit of God to go out and do the exact same thing. And so this morning, as we continue to look through Luke's gospel, what we see is specifically in Luke 12 is that the Lord Jesus is actually equipping his followers so that they can be uh, effective in the days ahead as they continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's interesting because as I've studied Luke chapter 12, the theme that continues to arise in my heart and mind is this need for you and I as Christians to walk with bold faith genuinely trusting God to use us in an antichrist culture. And in Luke 12, we get kind of a sneak peek at the antichrist culture that was actually occurring in the disciples' day. See, that day is eerily similar to the day in which you and I live. There is no difference. There's no shortage of pseudo-spirituality which denies the person in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as king. The soul yearns, that is the common soul, the individual, yearns to be elevated in general population and financially prosperous. So they go after uh, pleasing the crowd. They go after getting more cash. And this is the culture in which you and I live. There also remains a continuous pursuit among individuals to gather as much as they can while they are alive here on the earth with little to no consideration of the fact that one day they will meet with God. And it's in this kind of culture, are y'all listening? Say yes. It's in this kind of culture that God has sovereignly ordained to plant you and I. God has sovereignly ordained to plant this church so that it could reach this particular culture. You know, I heard a phrase on one occasion, I think it was this past week that fits well here. The phrase is, we are in the world, but not of the world, but we are for the world. So that is the church. We are in the world, but not of the world, but we are for the world. So the goal of the New Testament church is not to isolate herself from a lost culture. That is not biblical. The goal of the New Testament church is to reach out into the world and share the life-transforming message of the gospel, making disciples. 
Now, we're to live in the context of an anti-Christ culture with bold faith in the Lord. So far, we've at least noted three major applications. I've got this in your listening guide this morning. So let me just read this to you. You can kind of take a look at them later. But here are the three major applications that we've really sensed so far in Luke chapter 12. Here it is. Number one, when faced with confrontation from others concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should have bold faith in the Holy Spirit to give us the words to speak. So when God puts someone in your path who does not have a relationship with the Lord, be it a family member, person you work with, you are called by God to share the good news with them. Now here's the deal. So often we get nervous, do we not, y'all listening? So often we're scared. What are they going to do? How are they going to act? They're going to reject this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Bible teaches us to trust the Holy Spirit residing within us to give us the very words to speak. So God the Holy Spirit will fill your mouth whenever you open it. Now, there's a second little application we've learned so far, and I don't want to preach all these again, but these are good. When tempted to be driven by greed and the pursuit of worldly pleasures, we should have bold faith in the Lord to meet our needs. And then the third little thing there in your listening guide, when enticed to join the revolution of temporary fulfillment upon the earth, we should live with bold faith in the Lord's soon return. And so the Bible teaches that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And we need to live in light of that. And consider for just a moment, if you knew Jesus was coming back this afternoon at 4 o'clock, how would you live differently? Are y'all out there? If he were coming back at 4 o'clock, what would you do differently? We'd be bold with our fire. I believe we'd probably get on the horn and call people and tell them about Christ. Go knock on some doors. Get rid of some sin. Y'all out there? I need to make a note on that. That sounds like a sermon, doesn't it? But that's impressive. We don't know when he's coming back, but the Bible teaches we ought to live in light of his soon return. Now, this morning, we continue to focus our attention on living a life of bold faith in an antichrist culture. And as such, the Lord Jesus will teach you and I that the truth about him actually causes great separation. So when you stand for the gospel, there are separations that will occur. Listen, the gospel causes separation. And Jesus defines three areas in which we see the gospel creating separation. So I'm going to give you those three areas this morning. Uh, The first is this. The gospel separates the ungodly from the godly. So it separates the ungodly from the godly. So look at verse 49 again. Jesus says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Uh, In this verse, Jesus shares with his listeners what he has ultimately come to do through the earth. He has come to cast fire down upon it. And the word uh, there for cast, it literally means throwing or to pour out something. So you can see this imagery here. The Lord Jesus says, I wish that I could right now throw it out, pour it out, fire upon the earth, burn it up. What an interesting uh, comment from the Lord Jesus Christ. However, John the Baptist has already told us in Luke chapter 3, speaking about the Lord Jesus and his coming for the first time. He says concerning the Lord Jesus, uh, there's one coming who is much mightier than I am. I'm not even fit to get down on my knees and tie his sandals. I baptize you with water, John the Baptist says, but he who comes will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Did y'all hear this? Yes. 
So the Lord Jesus has a ministry. He baptizes in the Holy Spirit, but he also baptizes in fire. John the Baptist spoke about that in Luke's gospel. And so the word baptism, it literally means to immerse. And so the idea is that whenever you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving his forgiveness of sins, understanding he paid for the price of your sin on the cross, he was buried and resurrected. Once you trust that, the Bible teaches that the, the Lord Jesus actually immerses you, baptizes you into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also teaches that Jesus came, and here's the separation. He is also coming to baptize or immerse individuals in fire. And that's a ministry of the Lord Jesus. You know, there's a great desire in verse 49, in the heart of the Son of God, wishing that the fire was already kindled. Can you imagine what Jesus must have looked like when he said this? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting as you consider this. Sometimes I think, what would it be like if he were all just riled up about it? I've come to cast fire down upon the earth. I wish it was already kindled. And then at the same frame, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus was real compassionate about it. I've come to cast fire down upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have no idea what his demeanor was, but I do know what his word teaches. He will cast fire down upon the earth. And it is very clear in the scripture. In fact, Jesus in this particular text says, how I wish it were already kindled. He understood that it was not time for him to cast fire down upon the earth. However, he will have a time in the future in which he will do just that. Now, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, who would have been here in Luke chapter 12, listening to Jesus say this, he would have heard him talking about casting fire down upon the earth. And Peter eventually writes in greater detail what this day is going to be like, this great and terrible day of the Lord. In 2 Peter 3, 7 through 10, the Bible says it this way. Peter writes, but by his word, talking about the word of God, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. So Peter spoke about it. The earth, as you and I know it, will one day cease to exist. Peter describes the coming of the day of the Lord as a roaring fire which will consume everything in its path, the earth as well as the ungodly. Some of you have heard the faint roar of a fire before I'm certain of it. You know, we have a fireplace at our house. It's been cold uh, the past several weeks and I don't know, about a month ago, maybe a little longer, uh, had the opportunity once again to build a fire in the house. And so I went in, I stacked up some firewood. The problem is I didn't have a Duraflame log. Y'all know what those are? That's where it's at, by the way. Rubbing two sticks together, man, that's old school, all right? So a Duraflame, but I didn't have one. And you know, any mountain man should have one in his pocket, amen? But I just did not have one. And so I got some newspaper and I got up under there and I tried to get that thing lit and it wouldn't light. I had all these ideas and nothing worked. And then finally, it dawned on me, gasoline. It's flammable. So I went into the garage, which I do not recommend, by the way, but we have a little gasoline for the uh, lawnmower. I took a coffee cup in there. 
and I filled up the coffee cup with gasoline and went back into the house uh, to where the uh, logs were. And so I just doused it all with gasoline. And, uh, you know, all the kids, they were gone. So I mean, it's all safety, all right? I know some of y'all are worried about that. And then I kind of got that long little big lighter and uh, stood off to the side a little bit like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Here's the, here it is. Y'all with me? Y'all in my living room right now? And um, I said a little prayer. <laughs> and... And basically did this little number right here. You know, I gave a little countdown in my mind, too, <laughs> because I wanted to know when one was so I could take off. And so I did. I, 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 all it is, it's Duraflame log. It's just a log filled with gasoline. <laughs> no, it ain't. But anyway, so uh, I lit it up. And as soon as I did, I jumped out. Man, you could feel the intense heat immediately. But what was unique is you could hear the roar of the fire. You've heard that before? How it just roars right up out of there. You know, that's amazing that I'm alive, that the house didn't burn down, and the person who actually does our insurance for the house was in the first service and came up to me afterwards and said, please don't ever tell a story like that again. But anyway, so, uh, but if you consider for a moment the roar that you have heard from a fire before, how much greater the intensity of the roar of the judgment of God when he comes in great fire. Reminds me of Amos 1 and 2. The prophet said, the Lord roars from Zion. Zephaniah, we saw this last Wednesday night. Uh, the Bible says, all of the earth will be devoured in the fire. So take special note that Peter says when the fire comes, there will be a complete separation of those who are ungodly from those who are godly. And they will be completely destroyed in the lake of fire. Now, before we see this statement of Jesus Christ as ugly or too harsh, consider what motivates such passion from the Son of God to cast fire down upon the earth. What is it that motivates him? Why would he make such a statement? Well, his ministry has witnessed the effects of sin firsthand to humanity. He sees the devastating realities of disease and death. He sees firsthand the overwhelming effects of sin in a fallen world. One commentator notes, quote, he could at any moment eliminate all pain, all suffering, disease, disasters, death, sorrow, mourning, and decay. But that would also mean the end of us, end quote. See, Jesus, while wanting to set right what had been wronged by sin, Jesus patiently endured the ministry task at hand. But make no mistake about it, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, he will ultimately one day separate the ungodly from the godly, and he will do so with fire. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before um, you sit back and say, well, I don't know if my godly or ungodly, who's godly, who's ungodly. Here's the deal. The Bible teaches we're all ungodly. We've all been born into sin. We're sinners by nature, sinners by choice. The wages of our sin is death. So none of us are godly. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church or how religious you think you are. You do not make yourself godly. You can't do it. God, by his grace, sent Christ to die for us, be buried, resurrected. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so God made Jesus sin so that he could make you and I godly. That is an act of the Lord. It's grace. And so the only individuals who will be saved who are, are the ones who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ and have been made righteous by the Lord. So the gospel, it separates ungodly from the godly. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Here goes uh, point number two here. The gospel separated, this is past tense, the gospel separated the Father from the Son. Now, don't you look in your Bible at verse 50. 
The Bible says, Jesus speaking, but, and this is why he doesn't go ahead and cast fire down right now, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Now, this isn't speaking about baptism in the water. He's already been baptized. This is actually speaking about a baptism unto death. And Jesus is speaking directly about the fact that he wished he could cast fire down upon the earth, even so right now. But that is not what he came to do the first time he showed up on the earth. He'd come to carry out the plan of God the Father, marked for him since before creation. Now, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus, that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I've heard it said like this from a preacher on one occasion. Before you and I had a sin problem, God already had a sin solution. Jesus Christ. Jesus would actually come and bear in his own body the sins of humanity. God the Son would bear the wrath of God the Father for the sins of the world. Jesus was completely perfect and holy, hated sin at the core of his very being, and even thrust upon his heart a desire to cast down fire because of sin. However, Jesus would be baptized unto death, and the truth of God's justice dictated that if anyone, are y'all listening, say yes. I'm preaching up here, so listen here. If anyone were to be forgiven of their sin, there must be a payment for their sin. Jesus, who is absolutely holy and without sin, would actually take upon his body the very thing that he utterly despised and the evil which vehemently contradicted his character and his nature. Jesus knew what he was sent to accomplish. He knew that he would face crucifixion. He knew that he would become the person to take upon himself the punishment from God the Father for the totality of man's sin. Now, while the thought of being made sin by God the Father would have no doubt caused the Lord Jesus distress, there are some implications to his death that we seldom even consider. Like the fact that on the cross, listen, there was a moment in which Jesus experienced abandonment from God the Father. The Bible says, Jesus speaking in Matthew 27 from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, the Son of God, had known complete unity within the Trinity, perfect harmony. However, on the cross, in a moment, Jesus incarnate experienced an internal feeling which he had never experienced before as it pertained to his relationship with God the Father. There was a moment of separation. And there is no doubt, as Jesus lived in the shadow of the cross, that he would have been distressed concerning the implications of his death. And yet... Without the sacrifice of the sinless Son of God on behalf of the sins of the world, there will be no chance for any of us to be considered righteous by God the Father. If Jesus Christ were not sacrificed, all of us will be damned to hell. Jesus' death paved the way for us to be saved. His baptism unto death is necessary completely to free man from sin, death, and judgment so that they might live forever. One commentator notes this, and I quote, In becoming sin and in dying, Christ experienced all that was contrary to the nature of God, all that was involved in God separating himself from sin and death. Now, you and I, we can sit down and we can kind of talk or we can sit down and contemplate uh, that which the Son experienced on the cross with the Father. But the fact of the matter is, we would barely scratch the surface of all that happened in this particular moment while he was dying on the cross. I think it was Martin Luther who once said, God denying God. Who can explain that? Listen to the gospel, however. It necessitated this work of God the Father, counting Jesus as sin on our behalf. 
But note, however, this was not a continual reality. At the moment of Jesus' death, he says to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, Are y'all listening? Say yes. When Jesus died on the cross, um, he said to the guy next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus did not go to hell for three days. Jesus died on the cross paying the sin debt of humanity to God. He didn't go to hell. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Because there are some people who argue he went to hell for three days and like fought with the devil and had some kind of UFC battle with him. He didn't do this, all right? Jesus looks at the man, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. But there on the cross, what is amazing, absolutely amazing, is that there is some form of separation that my uh, finite brain cannot understand. Where the Lord God himself uh, considered his son to be sin. And then because of this, he turned his face from his son for a moment. Abandonment. Separation. All in the gospel. Why in the world would he do it? You know, as you think about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is perfect unity within the Trinity. Uh, The Trinity is a perfect community. Are you listening? Say yes. The Trinity is a perfect community. All right? God does not need us for anything. It's not like the Lord was lacking. He said, I need to create some people who will glorify me because I just feel so lacking in this uh, triune relationship. That is not the case. It's the supreme act of love that God would create any of us. And what a greater uh, act of love than showing how Jesus served humanity by dying for us in our place. Experiencing even separation so that you and I might be unified with the Father. Isn't this wild? Are y'all listening? Say yes. Uh, Matter of fact, Jesus even prayed for us who were saved. He prayed for his disciples, not only the disciples that were with him, but also the disciples that were to come. He prayed that the disciples, are y'all listening? Because this is awesome. He prayed that the disciples would experience the same unity that Christ experienced with the Father. And if you keep reading that prayer, he says, here's the reason that I pray for that unity so that others might see the reality that they know you, God. That's pretty wild. And I didn't think about it that while I was preaching the first service. But to think this separation occurred so that you and I could be unified and then to ultimately consider the reality that the gospel brings, look at the preacher, You and I together in unity so that we can, listen, express the same uh, supreme uh, element of love which God himself displayed in his son. We now can express that with one another in the family of God. And that love is expressed in our sacrificial service toward one another. And then an unbelieving world sees a believing community walking in unity with the purpose of making disciples. And they see the love that we have for one another and they're amazed because now they understand there is a difference. So the gospel separated Now, godly from ungodly, it will do that. Gospel separated the Father from the Son. Thirdly, we note, and i got to go quick here. Uh, Real quick, what time? My clock is not right. Are y'all listening? 
The gospel separates families from families. Look at verse 51 through 53. You suppose I came to grant peace on the earth, I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, uh, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Christ said directly, I did not come to bring peace on the earth. This word peace literally speaks of national tranquility. The statement is a statement concerning the time in which the Lord Jesus Christ was there. Israel, they were looking for someone to come as a Messiah and set up a peaceful kingdom upon the earth. Jesus will bring peace to the earth at his second coming, but not the first time. The first time the Bible says he came to bring a sword. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? I didn't come to bring peace. I I came to bring a sword. And then he even says, and this sword will actually uh, uh, set uh, people against one another. Speaks of a severing, a cutting into parts. Literally, there will be a dividing line. That when you begin to stand for the gospel and you begin to share the gospel and you are living for Christ in an anti-Christ culture, know this, some people will separate themselves from you. Some of them will be in your family. They'll have no, they won't like you. Some in your workplace, they don't want to have anything to stand up for Jesus. They don't want anything to do with you. And you know, uh, just because I, I think it's a crazy story, when I was uh, pastoring another church, which was this one, there was only one other, but uh, across the street was Jehovah's Witness Hall. And I remember one individual teenager, as soon as their service started across the street, they would sneak over. He would sneak over into our service. And he would sit there and listen to the gospel being presented. And uh, anyway, he ended up giving his heart to Jesus Christ. Radically changed. Was baptized in our church. But here's the deal. As soon as he was baptized and told his parents about the decision that he made, they ousted him. Put him out of his house. He didn't even live in the same state no more. Kicked him out. Separation. So as you begin to stand for the gospel in the context of your family, know this, some people are going to separate themselves from you. But that is a biblical uh, reality, all right? Biblical reality. And some of you, you, your first uh, generation Christians, by this I mean nobody else really in your family was a follower of Christ. Your parents weren't followers of Christ. Your grandparents weren't. So you are a first generation Christian. And your newfound faith is blowing your family's mind. They're like, what has happened to this person? And uh, you're experiencing some separation. I've got somebody here uh, who actually has experienced that. Jason, come up here and share with us, brother. He knows what it is to be separated from his family. So Jason Graffinino, he helps out with our grow groups here at Concord. But share a little bit with the church about this separation, brother. I, am, uh, I was born and raised in southern Louisiana. Uh, I am a born and bred Cajun. If you know anything about Cajuns, uh, they know uh, good food, and they're typically Roman Catholic. All right, that's really the two rules of it. And I, that was the family I grew up in. We were Roman Catholic. Um, all I ever knew uh, from, from birth was going to Catholic church. We went to church every week. We were very religious. If uh, we could have earned our salvation, we, did, we have earned it over and over again. We actually invited the priest over for dinner a few times. That's how good we were. So uh, did all of that. Uh, very religious again. Um, but our house uh, was quite, quite empty uh, deep down. And so uh, eventually, uh, when I was, about, I was about 15 years of age, it was just my mother and I left at home. My parents had separated, and my uh, two older sisters and older brother had moved out. I was about 15, and I told her one day, I said, Mom, I said, I, I think I'm done with church. Uh, there really is no point to it. It means nothing to me. It does nothing for my life. I don't see a point. I'm just not going anymore. I'm done. And she and I got into a heated discussion of which I won, and I did not go back to church. 
So about three years later, uh, I began dating a young lady, and she invited me to go to church with her. And uh, I hadn't been to church for a while, and I thought, uh, well, I liked her, and sure, I'll go to church. And I said, well, what church do you go to? And she said, well, I go to Christ Baptist Church. And I thought, Baptist? Yikes. All I'd heard about Baptists is that they sacrificed chickens or something in their worship services. I was scared of even the thought of going to a Baptist church, but I liked her a lot. And so I thought, okay, what could happen to me? I'll go to church. And so I walked in church. Uh, the sanctuary looked much like this one, uh, very little on the walls, uh, empty crosses. Uh, there were no stained glass windows. There were no statues of the saints. There was no shrine to Mary lit with candles in the corner. Uh, I was out of my comfort zone. This didn't look much like church to me. Uh, people seemed to be genuinely happy to be there. One thing I noticed, though, they actually carried their own Bibles with them. It looked like everybody had their own Bible and carried it. Some had these fancy covers that they carried it in. I thought that was pretty wild. Never seen that before. I'd never read the Bible before. Uh, we had one Bible in my uh, house. It was up on the mantel uh, above the fireplace, and it was the one with Jesus. He kind of looks like a girl. He's got kind of milky white skin and this flowy hair. It kind of creeped me out, really. Uh, I don't know why, but it did. That was the only Bible we had. It's the only thing we never talked much about the Bible. But we talked about church a lot. So we were very religious. And yet I went to this first service and the, the pastor preached. Uh, and I realized there was something different about what was happening here than what happened in my church service. Uh, now I'm sure he gave an invitation uh, like Levi will do in a minute. Just like he had done because I realized it later. But it went right over my head. Missed that completely. But I did notice that there was a genuine, a genuine difference about people here. So it intrigued me. Well, this young lady that I was dating continued to share her faith with me. In fact, she shared her faith with a little, in a little track called Steps to Peace with God. Uh, you may be familiar with that track. Billy Graham Association puts it out. And at the very back of it, there is what we call the sinner's prayer. All right? There's a prayer uh, to pray. And so one night I remember I was alone and I sat there. I was looking at the track and I thought, well, what have I got to lose? So I, I read through the prayer. I kind of prayed the prayer as best I know how. And then nothing happens. In fact, I get on the phone and I call the young lady and I said, well, I prayed that prayer you gave me. Real nasty like that. Nothing happened. And there was silence on the phone for a few seconds. And then she says, she says Jason, it's not, it's not just the words that you say. You have to believe it in your heart. It's a heart change. Romans 10.10 says, for with your heart you believe. I had no clue about a transformed heart. No clue what that meant. No clue what it meant to know Christ. And so from that point, started going to church with her again. This young lady continued to share her faith with me. About two years later, I was a slow learner. Two years later, July 24th, 1988, the Holy Spirit got hold of me in a service just like this and said, today's the day. My heart was transformed, gave my life to Christ. I was a new creature in him, a new creation. Uh, didn't look the same. My friends didn't recognize me. It was pretty wild stuff. I'm all pumped up. I'm all excited. I go home to tell my mom and say, Mom, I became a Christian today. I'm going to get baptized next week. My mom says, what are you talking about? You've been a Christian forever and you're baptized when you're an infant. See, she didn't get it. She didn't understand. And I was sharing with her, but no, no, no. None of that. Let me share with you. Clueless to what I was sharing with her. The next week I was baptized. Many of you have seen baptismal uh, ceremonies here in our church, right, where the family will get up. They've got the camera. They're smiling, grandma and granddad and the whole gang there as Levi baptizes. At my baptism, it was just me and the young lady's family of which I was dating. But that was okay. 
Because, see, I was born into the family of Christ. I didn't even need my family to be there. It was a little upsetting, but not really, to be quite honest with you. I didn't care, really. And so I continued to share uh, my faith uh, with my family. I talked to my dad about what was going on, and he said boldly to me, I do not want that Jesus that you're telling me about. I want no part of that. And so I continued to share with him uh, over the years uh, my faith and what God had, had how God had changed me, transformed my life. And uh, the young lady and I who we were dating were married. It's Morgan, this pretty blonde in the front row here. Uh, and so uh, my family sort of, in a kind way, uh, despised her for quite a long time. Because in their mind, you see, they had, their view was she had taken me away from them and from my faith. But actually what had happened is Christ had taken me away from them through division, as Levi's preaching about today. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand that Christ literally will cause separation. He did in my own family. A few years later, I sensed God's call to ministry and shared that with my family uh, over dinner. It was an interesting service. I was prepared as this young man Levi told you about for them to say, get out of here. We've had enough of this. But in fact, shockingly, some of them said, we're not surprised. We can see God is doing something in your life, which kind of blew me away. I thought, they're noticing some change in me, which encouraged me. Well, I went to my dad's house. Again, my parents are divorced by this time. And share with him that God was calling me to ministry. I was actually in the middle of working on a uh, master's uh, in business degree. And my dad was, was paying my tuition, still supporting me, helping us along. And I told him, Dad, I'm not going to finish my business degree. I'm going to go to seminary. God's called me to ministry. He said, you'll never see another penny from me if you do that. And I said, well, Dad, that's okay if that's how you feel. God will provide. I'll trust him. It's all right. And God has. My dad kept his word, and God did too. And I'm here to tell you that we haven't missed anything. Shockingly, I can tell you story after story, amazing supernatural ways, and God met our needs financially. But that goes besides saying, again, it caused separation. Literally, the relationship with my dad was one of the way he showed us love was finances. He was a, my dad's a surgeon, a retired surgeon. We always had lots of money, but that's really all we had. And so him taking that from me, well, that was really his way of love. That's all I had. But to be honest, again, you know, it's a bit hurtful. But deep down, I have this relationship with Christ. That doesn't matter. It's okay. I keep living out my faith, hoping my dad will see uh, the change and the truth in me and see that same need that he has for himself. And so I, as we read this word, and I remember reading this scripture over and over as a new Christian, realizing uh, my life was literally what God is saying, that he will cause separation, he will bring separation, and he has. But I will say over the years, though, my family has seen a difference in me. Uh, my brother has come to Christ, so now my father's two sons are both born-again believers. That's getting his attention. Uh, the last time he and I uh, saw each other, we spent about six or seven hours debating theological issues. It was the deepest conversation we've ever had. Very interesting. Encouraging to me shows me that he is seeking. Very different from the earlier conversations that I shared with you. But the truth is, there is a separation. And the fact is that Christ is that that separates. But also, the fact that he causes separation, as Scripture says, is a challenging doctrine for us to hold to. But he's also a redeemer. And my hope and my faith is that my father, the rest of my family, will continue to see what God's doing in my life, other believers' lives around them, and that they will be redeemed as well. I have hope 
that Christ is not just about division and leaving us divided. His word also says he's about redeeming all of us. Levi. Amen. Thank you, Thank you brother. Appreciate you, Jason. You know, at our early service, we pray for his dad to be saved, and we'll do that again here in just a few moments. But uh, towards the end of this, I want you to begin to think, who is it that God has placed in your life who is without the Lord, who doesn't know the Lord, and you've experienced that? Let me give you a couple of little statements here to kind of wrap this up. i got to be quick. But uh, Jesus basically, towards the end of this uh, particular chapter, is saying, do you not get it? I mean, verse 54 uh, through 56, he basically says, you know how to analyze the weather. You know what the weather's going to be like, and yet you don't see what's going on right in front of you. I am God in the flesh, and you are totally missing out. And then as you hear about what God has done through Christ, even this morning, you and I, man, we know a bunch of stuff about the weather. So I can say the same thing to you. You probably got an app on your phone like I got on mine. I can press a button and tell me what the weather's going to be like for the next five days. I can look outside at the clouds. I can look at the sun. I understand the weather. But how scary is it to think that you could understand that and totally miss out on salvation in Christ Jesus? And then ultimately, he says, if you did get it, you would do something uh, about it. You would make it right. He gives that parable about the judge and the magistrate. And I love what Warren Wearsby says uh, towards the end of this particular uh, section. He says it like this. Anyone, are y'all listening? Say yes, because I want you to hear this. Anyone will do whatever is necessary to stay out of prison. But how many people will apply that same concern and diligence to stay out of hell? And that's the parable that Jesus is getting at. So I want to ask you this morning, those of you who are in the building and you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to make a decision to follow him. But then secondly, I'm going to invite you, who has God put in your path that does not know the Lord that needs to be redeemed? Somebody in your family, man, be praying for them. Had our altars flooded this morning, people praying for family members. Who do you need to be praying for? Let's do that now. The heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, in the name of Jesus.